You are listening to NTC Messina's podcast, where our desire as a family of God is to simply know God, love one another, and make disciples. Um, Dave's just going to share a quick testimony about um, his time with reading. Morning. So um, I'm really uh, excited about the uh, reading thing and the memorization thing this year. I I didn't do it last year, and um, but um, and when they announced it this year, I wasn't wasn't really interested. <laughs> but because um, I, I do I do a devotional on my own, and but um, it's been really good. And I just felt to share because um, I think there may be others that have felt the same. Um, Brenda and I are reading together, which is really awesome. But uh, what what I'm really the Lord's really spoke to me was what the Word of God does for us as we read, but also as we as we memorize. Um, and I just want to share from uh, First Second Timothy three. And it says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And that really spoke to me because I, I know as we go through our day, and me, me, I know when, I, when I'm facing situations, whatever it is, I found, and somebody shared this with me this week, when I have the word in me, like uh, was shared earlier, it flips that situation around for me. It doesn't necessarily change it, but changes how I react to it. Um, and so I just encourage everybody, it's just a word of encouragement, get in a Bible reading plan if, if you're not yet, um, and uh, see what God's word can do for you. Thanks, Dave. That's mine. <laughs> um, so uh, I have one more announcement as well. So this Wednesday night was our first um, uh, prayer time together from 6 to 7. And we decided to change it for this coming week. And I want everyone to show up, okay? Every single one of you, all right? Not in this room, though, all right? We're going to do online only. For the live stream, we're going to live stream prayer. We're going to kind of set it up differently. So just um, pay attention on Facebook. It's going to be from 7 to 8 instead. So you can have dinner before. Then you can jump online on the live stream. We're going to have um, some people interacting in the comments so that you can post. Because this week coming up, we're, we're talking about um, just bringing our petitions, right? Kind of speaks in Scripture about bringing our requests to God. And so we're asking you uh, to come online with us this Wednesday from 7 to 8. And let's all pray together. Um, today, I'm obviously talking about prayer. We desperately need to pray, right? Um, less TV watching, less CNN, less Fox News, less social media, a little more prayer maybe. You know, um, I always joke when we talk about doing prayer together, it's kind of a joke I have, and the guys that have been around me for long have heard me say it a thousand times. You know, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane with his friends, and he asks them to pray with them, and they fall asleep on him three times. And at one point, he comes back to them, and he wakes them up, and he's kind of mad. 
And he just says, couldn't you even pray with me one hour? So let's just pray one hour. Can you do that? So at least Jesus won't say, couldn't you even pray with me one hour, NTC? So we want to pray for an hour together, 7 to 8 p.m., be online, on Facebook, um, be ready to pray in your home. God doesn't have distance. You don't need a microphone to pray. You don't need to be in a special room to pray. Um, you don't need to be in special clothes to pray. You can be, it's all about your heart posture and communicating with God, all right? So this Wednesday, where are we all going to be? On Facebook Live, not anywhere else on New, New Testament Facebook Live, all right? All right. <laughs> Uh, shamelessly making you do this, all right, if I can. I know I can't, but I'm trying to. So, um, today, when you pray. So, I'm going to incorporate prayer today into me talking about this week's events as well. <laughs> um, man, I feel like, I don't think in my life of being in the church, which I've worked here a long time now, that I've ever been this much, in a sense, I don't want to say distracted, because that's not the right term, but, but having to speak about each week's current events more than this year. Every week, I'm like, there's something happening that needs to be addressed from Jesus' perspective. And this week, just as much as all of 2020, um, we need to talk about Jesus' perspective. And so I'm going to talk one thing today. If you're watching online or if you're just here in the room with us, I am going to address what did Jesus say when he talked about government and politics? Because um, he did say something. It wasn't much. But he did say something. And so I want to address that today. But I want to start first with this whole soul training thing that we're doing. We talked last week about when we fast and why fasting matters to us, and that it's not leverage, that it's this positioning, and it's this preparation, it's this reminder of our need for Jesus in our life. Well, when you pray, so Matthew 6, in your notes, um, it's the second scripture I put down. He, this is one of the things he says, when you pray, don't babble on and on as, other, as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. And then he goes on to teach the Our Father prayer that we all know and have all repeated again and again. Sorry, making a joke. You can laugh at yourself. Um, sometimes we don't always see what Jesus' intention is in Scripture. But I want to start uh, with this one Scripture, and just, just to make a big point. Luke 5.16, it says this, But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. And as Christians, as people who follow Christ, follow Jesus, who want our lives to be modeled like Jesus' life, we need to look at his life. This is why our last series just before this, the whole end of 2020, was Jesus' words. We want to know what did Jesus actually say? Because if we want to be like him, we should know his words, we should know his actions. Well, one of his actions was that he often withdrew to pray. Jesus, the Son of God, come to earth, taken on the form of humanity, fully divine and fully man, a very confusing nature for us to wrap our minds around, but God 
who existed for all time, who's come to earth now. He's here as Jesus, the son of Joseph. He knows God very well. He knows his father very well. We see it throughout his ministry, how closely he walks with God and how he says all the time, I only do what the father does. And and even in John 14, when his disciples are saying, hey, can you show us the father? He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. So much so that he is acting in his perfect purpose that if we've seen Jesus, we've seen God. He says... He often withdraws to pray. If Jesus needs to often withdraw to pray, how much more do we need to? If prayer was a needed part of Christ's life, it's a desperately needed part of ours. Now, I think that it's easy for prayer to become rote, to become ritualistic or to become kind of mundane or, or almost feels like I'm just doing the same thing over and over again, especially if we repeat very specific words. But you see, it's not meant to be that way. It's meant to be relational. It's this place where we come to connect with God. And, you know, sometimes the best prayer time with God is where you're saying nothing. where we're listening, we're letting God impress himself on our hearts, where we're listening to his words from scripture or even from songs written by artists that display his nature. We're listening to understand the God of this universe. We have to listen in prayer as well. But prayer is desperately needed for all of us. You know, whenever I'm in a bad mood, anybody ever get in bad moods? Come on. I do often. All it takes is me dropping something on the way to the car. It happened this morning. I had one computer and I had a bag and I had a towel and I had my yogurt teetered on the top of my computer and it slid off on the ground and I was like, that was the literal noise I made. It's easy to get in a bad mood, but you want to know why we get in bad moods? Because usually it means we're off center from where we're supposed to be. We've lost perspective on something. Something's worn itself on us. You know, we've seen too much news or too much, you know, ranting or too much this or too much that. But I'm telling you, when we pray, when we somehow withdraw our hearts and we get into a place in our lives where prayer becomes first in our lives, I'm telling you, it's a lot easier to deal with things. So when I'm in a bad mood, I'm, I usually act about it, you know, and my wife will lovingly tell me so. And I'll, in a moment, I, you know, I've learned, because instead of being defensive about my bad mood, I've learned, you're right, I'm, my mind's off right now. And you know the first thing I say after that? Jesus, I need you. I've literally trained myself to do this because I know that if I'm acting this way, I'm trying to do something in my own power, and I'm not very good at it. I'm trying to overcome situations or circumstances I'm not very good at. I'm trying to figure something out in life I can't figure out. I'm trying to control the world around me, and I can't seem to do that either. And then I remember, I need Jesus. 
prayer does this for us. It first brings us back to a relationship with him. So I want to go to that Our Father prayer, Matthew 6. So if you have your Bibles, turn there. And so Jesus kind of says this when you pray, and he says a few things about that. But then he goes, uh, don't be like them, for our Father knows exactly what you need, even before you ask him. So don't just repeat yourself. That's what he's saying. But he says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, and I'm going to use uh, the ESV version because we've all memorized it this way. Hallowed be your name. So the first thing we're supposed to do in prayer is in this first line. The first thing we're reminded of, who's God? Who is he? Say it again. Our Father. You know, this is really incredible moment because Jesus isn't saying my Father who art in heaven. He's saying our. He's including us into this family and we see it later in scripture. He's adopted us. Our Father, we have to be reminded when we're praying to God, we're not praying to some ruler, to just some king, even though he's all of those things, just some authority-type structure over us, or, or just the creator, or, or whatever other names we have for him. The first thing we're supposed to be reminded of is our relationship with who he is. And if you come to prayer, and you skip that part, the danger of it is this. You come to someone else. not you're, you're praying to God. But you come to him in a different respect. Instead of, we're supposed to be approaching God like he's our dad. Now I know not everyone has experienced a good dad or a good father in their lives. That's why we sing that song, he's a good, good father. Not to today, but we sing this song because we know he is a good father. And so if you have a good father in life, we're supposed to be approaching God like he's our good dad. Not like he's our boss. Not like he's, uh, you know, the RA on your floor, like making sure you follow rules. We're not supposed to approach him like, you know, some just distant relative or distant idea. We're supposed to approach him like he's our father. And so when we come in prayer, the first thing that needs to change in our heart is to be reminded God is relational and wants to know us. And then it says this, hallowed be your name. So first, we're reminded of our relationship in who God is. Then we're reminded in who God is in a holy way. That he's perfect. That he's without fault. That he is good. That he doesn't have ill intentions toward us. That he doesn't have bad plans for us or bad purposes. But that he is a good father. That he is holy in all he does. And when we approach God like that in our prayer, I'm telling you, when you approach God like that in your prayer, it will change how you pray. Now, one thing about a good dad, you shouldn't be afraid to ask him for things. My kids aren't afraid to ask me for things. Even when they hear no a lot. They just keep asking. 
because I, I hope I'm a pretty decent dad, that they can come and know, hey, maybe, maybe dad will do this for us. Maybe dad will, will buy this for us. Maybe dad will take us to Taco Bell now that it's open and wait two hours in a stupid line. Maybe dad will drive to Potsdam. My kids, it's all about food. Maybe dad will drive to Potsdam and get five guys. So we are supposed to be able to approach our father with requests, but we're all supposed to approach him with our hurts and our pains and our difficulties. I tell you, a lot of the times that I call my dad, hey, dad, how do you fix this? What am I supposed to do in this situation? Because I haven't, I haven't encountered this one myself yet. So we come to our Father in heaven. We say, God, what am I supposed to do in this moment? I've never encountered this, this difficulty in my life. I don't know what to do. What do I do? You want to know what you do then? Stop talking. If you're just repeating something all the time, how can he ever respond? Now, sure, God sometimes responds in impressions and words, but sometimes he responds in action. You're, you're asking for an answer in your life, and then all of a sudden a big door just closes. That's an answer sometimes. You're not going down that road. Or you're asking God, what am I supposed to do and make this decision? And one door closes and one opens? Well, take the hint. God, what am I supposed to do in my life? And everyone tells you no, and then you do it? Ugh. Maybe not a great idea. God speaks to us in the ways that we hear. You know, I love in Romans, there's this one scripture that says, no one has an excuse for not knowing God simply because of the nature and the universe and the world around us. That when we look outside, we see the creator universe. God will speak to us in any way that we're probably willing to listen. He's not limited by just words, impressions in your heart or mind or whatever. And sometimes I just turn a song on and I feel like God's speaking to me through the song. Sometimes I run into a friend and I just happen to mention something happening in my life and they say something, I'm like, that's what I should do. God wants to speak to us. So our prayer is supposed to be focused on an idea that we're coming to a Father who is good in our lives. We must first remember who we are praying to and then what we are praying for. So the next verse, in verse 10, it says this, May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Many of us have it memorized. You know, today I was really appreciative of the songs that we chose. Because they were reminders to us, especially this week, about what we're supposed to be praying for. You see, it's okay to come to God with your requests and your needs and your desires and your hurts and your pains, but, but when we look at this teaching of, of Jesus teaching the Our Father prayer, the first thing that we're supposed to be praying for after we understand who we're praying to is for his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. But far too often, we come asking for our kingdom to come. You see, the wording changes here. 
It was our Father in heaven, but now it's your kingdom come. We don't carry the our into the next verse. Because then it becomes all about us. Our kingdom come, our will be done. But how often is that how we pray? God, I really need this. And so we come with this request, and it's really all about us. You see, Jesus is teaching in this this scripture that when we first come to God, the motivation of our heart can't be just about us first. We can't just be requesting what we need or what we want. And sometimes our requests are really bad for us. Sometimes we're wanting things that we don't need and shouldn't have and are just going to hurt us in the end. And luckily, God will ignore us. Just like we are as good parents. Anybody a good parent that ignores really well? I mean, sometimes I'm sitting doing something and I know Isaac is sitting there. I mean, he's right there. And he's saying, Dad, 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 Dad. I mean, I'm not exaggerating here. This is him. Dad. And then he starts to get closer, and he gets really weird about it on purpose. Dad, 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 Dad. Until he's right here, like right in my face. And then I go, what? He goes, I've said it like 40 times. I go, well, you didn't get the hint? <laughs> I know I'm a great parent, aren't I? Because sometimes they just want stuff I know I'm going to say no to, and I'm hoping he gives up. (laughs) Or I've already said no, and it's not good enough. (laughs) But don't we do the same thing? The first thing we do to come to dad, oh, God, I can't stand this job. My boss sucks. I need a new one. God, can you do this for me? God, can you do this for me? Can you do this for me? God, can you please, please, please get this most favorite person in the world elected? Yeah, I'm crossing over there. I, I really want to be harsh a little bit. How is it, is it possible we've been praying for our will to be done? I don't care who you're voting for or who you did vote for. It already happened. I really don't. On both sides, possibly, have we forgotten that it's his kingdom come, not ours, not the United States? Have we possibly gotten distracted and made prayer a little bit about our requests and our will be done? You know, this week, seriously, was sad. More than anything, for me, I'm like, this is just sad. And what I see, unfortunately, on both sides, is a lot of incredible people who know God, who have gotten very distracted by what's most important. All throughout history, Christians, since since Jesus' time, Christianity has survived. The government had nothing to do with it. The Roman government, of any government, tried very hard to snuff out Christianity. I mean, very, very hard. Gladiators thrown into coliseums and killed and displayed on the streets, hung their bodies from walls to warn the other Christians to not be a Christian. 
I mean, even Hitler, I know it's not Christianity, but he tried to snuff out the Jews. All throughout history, governments have tried to stop Christianity. There is no worry. It won't work. It's time-tested. It's proven. You can't beat Jesus. You can't. You can clap to that. And I'm, please don't hear me that I'm talking about someone specific being in the White House. I'm really not. I'm talking about the hearts of Christianity, the hearts of Christians becoming so focused on a specific figure or a government or Senate or House of Representatives or whatever that we're so upset about that we forget that Christianity and Jesus' followers have really grown actually every time that there's been persecution but have survived throughout the ages. Why? Because when we come to this prayer and when we get on our knees and when we remember what is most important, we don't just pray. I, of course I want to pray for this nation. I pray for our nation all the time. And then Paul writes for us to pray for our leaders. But I first want to say this. Jesus, your kingdom come. You know what we're seeing in the world is just symptoms, right? It's just symptoms. We could elect all the right leaders, and the same stuff would go wrong. Our legislature does not change the morality of people's hearts. Those are just symptoms. The real issue at the heart of America and the world is we don't know God. We don't know Jesus. People have lost his nature They've rejected it. Whatever reason, they've stepped away from understanding what we're called to be as humans and the design and purpose of our hearts. We've stepped away from those things. And so what we see is symptoms and consequences of a kind of large move away from following Jesus. So we can't be surprised. I'm really not usually. I'm not surprised when things go, don't go the way I wish they would go. That's the nature of a fallen and broken world. It's been the nature of this world since, well, we screwed it up. Since we looked at that fruit, whether it was literal or symbolic, and we said to God by picking it and eating it, I think I know better than you. Don't you see, that's the root of all sin. Every sin at the end of the day is us saying the same thing to God. I think I know better. I know you told me not to do this. I know, you know, the Bible maybe teaches not to do this, but I think it, I don't think it's true. And so we get ourselves into these places as a world and as a society, and we shouldn't be surprised by the brokenness of it. But we also shouldn't lose hope. We shouldn't lose sight, and we shouldn't lose faith in the middle. In fact, in these moments is when the church should shine the brightest. In these moments, people should look at us and go, why aren't you frustrated? This is the question I get most. Why aren't you more vocal? Want to know why? Because Jesus wasn't. And that's where I'm going to go next. Let's go to Mark 12. Mark 12. So listen, Jesus comes into 
The world in a moment. So, okay, okay, he's born in the manger, right? We just celebrated this story. He's born in Bethlehem. The reason they're coming to Bethlehem is because of a census that has been imposed on them via the Roman government. And the reason there's a census is because the Romans were really good at controlling other people and how many of them there were. You see, the rule behind the census was to control and to eliminate if they needed to. So Jesus is born into this moment where they're not even in a free country or a free nation. And immediately after that, the the puppet king, Herod, who's just really left in charge so that the Roman government, because they were good at this. They learned over a long time, let's leave their leader in charge, but he's not really in charge. We'll just give him everything he wants. The people will feel a little bit free, but they aren't free. And so Herod was still kind of in power to a degree, and he, he hears from the three wise men. You know the story. Oh, we just came to celebrate the birth of the Messiah, the one who's going to set up his kingdom, who's going to restore Israel. And Herod, what he hears is, I'm going to get thrown out. And what does Herod do? You know what's a good idea? Let's kill all the Hebrew boys two years and younger. That's what he does. So Joseph, hearing what's happened, flees to Egypt. Now we skip these parts of the story, but this is Jesus' life. The first two years of him being born, he was fleeing a genocide of children. Because Herod was afraid he'd be thrown out of his pseudo-power. And somewhere in there, they come back, and they settle in northern Israel, and Jesus is raised, and he grows up, and, you know, he becomes, you know, what we know of through Scripture and his ministry. And he becomes very popular. People start to think, maybe he's the guy. They hear of his miracles, and they come by the thousands and thousands, and they see miracles display, and they start to think, maybe he's the Messiah. But, but as you've heard me say many times, they were very confused on what that meant. They really thought that Jesus was going to come and set up a new political government. A government where not Rome ruled, but they ruled. You see, they probably didn't really disagree with the conquest of the Romans. They just were mad that it wasn't them in charge. And the longer Jesus has his ministry, you see, like, he never, there's only one time that he talks directly about the government. Once. And I'm going to read that right now. Mark 12, 13 through 17. So let's jump. I'm going to run through these scriptures and we'll talk about it. So later, this is verse 13. Later the leaders sent some Pharisees and some supporters of Herod to trap Jesus into saying something for which he could be arrested. Teacher, they said, we know how honest you are. You are impartial and don't play favorites. You teach the way of God truthfully. Now tell us, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or shouldn't we? Jesus saw through their hypocrisy and said, why are you trying to trap me? 
show me a Roman coin and I'll tell you. When they handed it to him, he asked, whose picture and title are stamped on it? Caesar's, they replied. Well then, Jesus said, give to Caesar's what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. So the religious leaders and some government leaders teamed up to try to trap Jesus because they were pretty frustrated with him at this point. And you see, most of the people following Jesus really, it was kind of a mixed crowd, but a lot of them were known as zealots. In fact, Peter was a zealot. A zealot was someone who was still angry that the Roman government ruled, and they were purposefully trying to overthrow that government. They would cause riots. They would incite unrest. They would try to get people to join their, their cause, and they were zealots about the cause. And Peter picks one of them, or Jesus picks one of them. I love this. You want to know who the very next person that Jesus picks to be his disciple? Matthew. You want to know who Matthew was? A tax collector. The complete opposite. Actually, he was the sellout of the Jewish people to the Roman government. You think Jesus would pick people from Democrats and Republicans? Because he didn't care. It's not about a political party to Jesus. It's not about who's in charge of this earthly government to God. Those things aren't what's most important to him. And I love how Jesus models, even in his disciples, he's picking these two people from far kind of ends of the spectrum of their political preference. And then later when they ask this question about render to Caesar what Caesar's, this idea of should we pay taxes, they were hoping he would say no because a lot of his followers, a lot of his followers were really angry about paying taxes to Caesar. And if he said no to appease them, then they would be allowed to arrest him. But Jesus says, who's on the coin? He says, Caesar is. Then he says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. I, pr I probably don't have any more. Oh, maybe I do. I never have cash on me, but I do today. This is a piece of paper with the United States of America written on it. Every week we come and we put it in a basket or we turn it in an envelope or we digitally send it to the church. You know, God has no care for this dollar, this $10. To him, it's just the U.S.'s money. And he would say the same thing to us today. Give to the, give to the U.S. what's theirs. But he doesn't stop there. He changes the subject. And I don't know if we realize that, but he does. When he says, and give to God... What is God's? You see, the image of Caesar was on that coin. And Jesus had no interest in owning anything earthly that was Caesar's. Because it doesn't matter to him. But what he did have an interest in was what bared the image of God. And what's that? Us.
The government can have all the money in the world is what he's saying, but I want you. Give the government what they want. Who cares? Even if it's wrong and tyrannical, just give them what they want because they don't have you. And the same is true today. Whatever side of the aisle you land on, the United States government, yeah, we're citizens of it, but we are not owned by them. We're owned by somebody else. And we're citizens of another government long before we're citizens of this one. And so every day that we see things we don't like in the news, we could shrug our shoulders at it. Because of the songs we sang today remind us that his kingdom is above all other kingdoms. I love how Jesus sometimes just refuses to even play the game they're trying to play. I think we need to be a little more like that. They want us, the world wants to suck us into this same game and the same political idealisms and these same political you know, frustrations and these same political issues, and yet we shouldn't even be playing the same game. We should be playing something far higher than that. Now listen, I am, I am as patriotic as the next person, really. And I could rant all day long about what I see in the news, just like all of you could. But at the end of the day, I can shrug my shoulders and go to bed peacefully and not hate my neighbors or hate someone online because of what they believe differently than me because I know I belong somewhere else first. And I know that when I come to pray, that I, yes, I'm going to pray for our nation, I'm going to pray for our leaders, but simply I want to pray for God's kingdom to come on this earth as it is in heaven. That people would understand the nature of God, they would see his goodness, and they would be changed, and therefore our earthly governments would then change. Our hope doesn't lie And whoever sits on the Supreme Court or whoever's in the House of Representatives, the Senate, or in the White House, it does not lie there. Does it affect us? Absolutely. Should we care to agree? Absolutely. Should we vote? Absolutely. But I know this, even if they take everything away, following Christ persists. Time has proven it. Governments have tried to snuff it out. It doesn't work. Because the the light of Christ in our lives is brighter than anything else. And that's what we have to remember. And I dare us to start living a little more that way. 1 Timothy 2, you know, Paul really... Uh, I, Paul's life is very interesting, right? He, he actually is in a lot of different places over time, and he's writing to, uh, you know, his, his leaders really in those places or, or his churches in those places, and he rarely ever addresses the government as well. And, but in 1 Timothy 2, and we know this, he says this, Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives. What he does not say is pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that they will do what we want them to do. 
so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives. Wouldn't anybody in this room just like a little more peace and quiet? I mean, maybe it's just me. I'd be happy with a little just peace and quiet on the political front. But you see, this is how the enemy comes. The enemy comes in, not just in Christianity, but also in the world to divide. And if we join in that division by picking a side, we have not helped the kingdom of God come. And I've been pressed, I cannot tell you how much, to pick a side. (laughs) And I chuckle a lot, and I usually tell the exact same thing. Jesus did it. I don't know what to tell you. I'm following Jesus. I'm not picking a side on this. Do I desire a certain side? Maybe. You'll never know. But I'm not picking a side. You want to know why? Because people are more important. Jesus is more important. And I don't care what political persuasion someone comes from. I want them to know God. God wants to do something. I, you know, as much as this stuff is sad and we've had like some crazy things happen in the last year and the last couple weeks, I'm telling you, this is setting the world up for revival. You see, revival literally means to reawaken. One description says to reignite something. And I believe that sometimes it just takes a little bit of pain and discomfort and a little bit of pressure for the world to wake up and go, whoa, something's wrong. And I think it's happening. But what we can't do is go to the wrong source or solution. The solution isn't going to be who got voted in. The solution is going to be running to Jesus. And you know what I know what I felt this morning? I felt when we started worship... um, I'll just be honest. Some mornings I come and I think, is anybody in here alive? Just being honest. Has anybody ever come and they're, they're, you're trying to worship me and it just feels like, what's going on? And I think life does that to us. We get distracted. We're all thinking about other things. We're in the room or we're watching online, but somehow we're not really connecting with where we're supposed to be going, you know, focusing on God and recentering. And today I felt... This is what I like, a desperation for God. That maybe after this week, we all just went, oh, I guess we need Jesus. That's the best place for us to be. We all come with the same heart, remembering we need Jesus. We need him right now more than ever. And the one thing we are all equipped to do in this world, and something, this is what I love about prayer, It changes things. Don't ask me to describe how it works. But somehow, one of the ways that God partners with us, because it says he's a co-laborer with us to accomplish his kingdom coming, is us actually praying for it to happen. And when we pray for it to happen, it actually can happen. You see, God has said about some sort of principle or, or just way of doing things. It's like he refuses to just snap his fingers and fix it all. 
And he's waiting for us to participate in seeing his kingdom come. And so he waits for us to pray for it. He waits for us to take action on it. And that's when it takes place. So prayer, when you pray, it is going to change something. Sometimes it's you it changes. Sometimes it's the world around us. Sometimes it's the person we're praying for or the healing we're praying for. But prayer changes the world around us. And I think that if we really do, if we come and we pray, right? We've heard this scripture, 2 Chronicles, multiple times. If we come and pray and we, we confess our sins and we turn away from our ways, then God will heal. He's given us a key to open a door of him doing work in this world. Let's open it together. Let's pray together. Let's believe that God hears every word. You know, I did, we did a teaching on prayer um, on Zoom actually back in June, and I kind of pulled apart Second Chronicles and some of the scriptures. Actually, I might have it right here. Some of the scriptures that come right after it. And I'm going to just mention this again. It says, oh yeah, so it's after that scripture I just said, but it says, my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to every prayer made in this place. See, God is speaking these words referring to the temple. Guess who the temple is now? You and I. New Testament scripture teaches us that he, we are the temple of God. So every prayer made within us, God is attentive to it. He hears you. Lift up your words this week. Lift up your prayers this week. God wants to hear our words. Luke, I just threw this in there as well just to remind us. Jesus says, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who hurt you. Are you hurt? You've been hurt by anybody in this season? You've been online and you see a friend post something that you just can't believe they're posting? You feel a little hurt by that? Pray for them. You're hurt by words that you hear people speaking, possibly out of ignorance or not understanding another side? Pray for them. Pray for those who hurt you. We're called really to pray for every, you know, um, in 2 Timothy, it starts by saying, pray for everyone everywhere. Well, there you go. We're supposed to pray. Let's pray for each other. I want to leave you with these couple questions. I'll have the worship team come up or uh, Kayla can come up. When have we been guilty of praying for our kingdom to come and for our will to be done instead of God's? You know, we can't be afraid of God pointing things out in our life. We can't be afraid of God whispering in our ear, uh, you're wrong. This isn't my heart. That language is not my language. I wouldn't do this. We have to let God guide us. We have to ask God those questions. God, where have I gone wrong? Where have I prayed for my will to be done in my kingdom instead of yours? Ask him that this week. I'm, I'm guessing you'll hear something. Something you may not want to hear. But listen. And then this last question, how can we model in our language and our actions who we belong to? The coin belongs to Caesar. 
In a sense, Jesus could care less about it. But what he does care is about his image on you. So how can we model in our language and our actions who we belong to? How can we better look like Christ in this world, in this moment? How can we do it in our families? How can we do it in our language? How can we do it in our actions? How can we show the world the true nature of God in heaven, who is our Father? I think we should all have answers to these. We should all ask God, you got to show me. I, I need to do better at this. God, teach me. Guide me. Holy Spirit, come and show me how to live this way. For some of you, maybe it's putting on a mask when you haven't. Ooh, danger. I know some people can't wear them. I understand it. I think we've probably pushed a little too hard. So there's some people that have real issues with it. But if you're doing it out of standing up for your rights, you might be doing it for the wrong reason. Sorry. Maybe it's not posting something on social media. Maybe it's not sharing that thing that you know is just going to rile people up. Maybe it's not commenting. <laughs> How can we model in our language and our actions who we belong to? Can we stand this morning? Jesus is coming back for his church. He's coming back for his body. He's coming back for his people. And at that moment, he won't care what country we live in, who we voted for. He'll want to know, do you know me? And I want to be able to say, yeah, I'm with you. He wants us to follow him. And it doesn't mean we don't pay attention to what's happening around us and we don't respond accordingly in right ways, but those have to be the ways of Jesus. So today I want to pray for every one of us. Maybe you're in this room and, and you've been hurt. I want to pray that there's something would happen in our lives this week, that we would be able to begin to forgive one another that we'd be able to begin to pray for one another, that we'd be able to begin to somehow reach across to opposite thinking and opposite ways of doing things and really show the nature of God in this world. Can we all pray with that together? So I'm going to pray right now. Why don't you just join with me? Father, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you for reminding us what you've done for us and that you're our Father in heaven, that we can come to you in that capacity. God, we thank you that you want us to speak with you, to pray with you, to talk to you. God, we thank you that you're not too busy for us, that you know us, that you are actually in our lives waiting for us to connect with you. And so, God, we want to pray. We want to be with you. And Jesus, I ask right now for myself personally, First, I ask God, show me the ways that I have not lived modeling your image. 
God, teach me new ways for my language and my actions to show the true nature of God in this moment in the world, in the middle of such political division and racial division and division just across the board. God, I pray right now that we would really be peacemakers. We would be people who would bring unity. Show us how to do that, Jesus. And Father, I, I want to repent for any way we have not. And God, repent isn't just some religious word. It literally means, God, turn our mind. Change it. Let us turn our direction and go a different way. Your way. So God, we don't want to just say something in words. We want to actually turn and do it. And so Father, we come to you today thankful and grateful for who you are. And God, we are so excited for what you're going to do. God, you're working in the United States of America. You're working in New York State. You're working in St. Lawrence County and Messina and the surrounding region. God, you are hard at work in this world. You are accomplishing your kingdom, God. You are doing incredible things. And Father, we refuse to be distracted by the things of this world. And we set our eyes on you this morning. And we give our lives to you in a fresh way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Be blessed. Have a wonderful day. I look forward to hearing what God's doing in your life. Thank you for listening to NTC Messina's podcast. We hope you join us next week and have a blessed day.